first episode of the first chapter that we'll be reading together, the How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Abram Kendi. Um, I'm not sure yet how I'll be doing this. I'll probably figure out figure it out the format by episode seven or eight, but right now we're just going to wing it. Um, I'm just going to read you the chapters, and what I'm going to do today is discuss a little bit or just highlight some of the things that I've pulled out of the introduction, and then we're going to go into chapter one, which is definitions. I haven't yet figured out how I will set up questions because I would really would like this to be more um, exploratory and engaging for everyone instead of a monologue. Um, and because this is not a live show, I have to figure out how to do that. And I'm really not a, fun, a fan of having comments on my podcast. So um, maybe it'll be um, the sh- I do the recording, it comes out on Sunday, and then we spend part of the week um, following um, having conversations on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, but we'll figure this out. Um, so here we go. So the chapters for this book are based on the con- table of contents. There's a introduction that is um, my racist introduction, and then um, chapter one is definitions, chapter two is dueling consciousness, chapter three is power, chapter four is biology, chapter five is, is ethnicity, chapter six is body, chapter seven is culture, chapter eight is behavior, chapter nine is color, chapter 10 is white, chapter 11 is black, chapter 12 is class, Chapter 13 is space. Chapter 14 is gender. Chapter 15 is sexuality. Chapter 16 is failure. Chapter 17 is success. And chapter 18 is survival. I also recognize that some of you are reading this via um, electronic medium. So I, and I read books because I love to highlight, draw lines and um, everything. I like the physical book when I'm doing research or just digging into a book club selection. And so I will be giving you when I can remember um, the chat, the page, and then I'll um, read you either something I've highlighted or an idea that's come from something that I've written in the margins or something like that. But I'm going to try to keep, just want to let you know for people who watch or reading electronically along with us, that um, your pages, I don't know if they line up with, may line up with what I'm saying in the, as I read. So this first chapter is about um, Dr. Kindy's actual um, lived experience he had. And so on page six, the one um, thing that I highlighted is, racist ideas make people of color think less of themselves, which make them more vulnerable to racist ideas. Racist ideas make white people think more of themselves, which further attracts them to racist ideas. On page seven, I didn't realize that I I didn't realize that to say something is wrong about a racial group is to say something is wrong, it's inferior about the racial group. I didn't realize that to say something is inferior about a racial group is to say a racist idea. On page eight. Internalized racism is the real black on black crime. Um, I wanted to just speak on this a little bit because I say this all the time that the, um, people of color, particularly black people in the United States have 
uh, also a level of internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness that um, speaks directly to um, a lot of the things that we um, experience in our own communities. And I'm trying to figure out, do I say, want to say, but or put an end on that? No, I'm going to put a period on that and say, um, once you pull back the covers of a lot of the things that that is considered on black on black crime, it, it is um, you see the the hand of white supremacy playing around in it. Um, you see the hand um, because anti-racist, I mean anti-blackness is a tool or strategy of anti-white um, supremacy. So it's really interesting. The more I learn, the more I learn, the more of the ideas that I used to think about. <clears throat> um, black people um, coming from what I thought was a well, I didn't even have it. I didn't even think about it. Um, what people would consider a middle class upbringing, even though um, it was feast or famine at times, um, we still had middle class values. And I'm only realizing now that those middle class values are actually white values. They're not middle class black values. They're not middle class Latina uh, Asian values. They're middle class white values, and it's about assimilating into a white culture. And so the higher you get on the spectrum, oh, my God, this makes me think about a book I read about on poverty, and I need to find that book. Um, because it highlights in that book, it has a, gr a grid or a graph or an image, and I'm closing my eyes because I can see it. And it talks about how people in different classes um, in the United States treat money or how we think about education or how we think about all these things. And so the idea or the ideal is this middle-class construct, which is what our education system is about, what our healthcare system is about. What, and, you, and, and I grasp that, but I'm only now getting and seeing that um, all of that is seen through the lens of whiteness and because of that, anything that does not look like whiteness is demonized and is bad. Um, so there's so much to unpack. Um, so on page nine, uh, um, denial is the heartbeat of racism. Um, and then it's, it says beating across the ideology. I'm having problems here. Um, as you can, I hope that you can tell my voice, I am having some sinus issues. Give me a um, denial is the heartbeat of racism, beating across ideologies, races, and nations. It is beating within us. Many of us who strongly call out Trump's racist ideas will strongly deny our own. How often do we become reflective, reflectively defensive when someone calls something we've done or said racist? How many of us would are, excuse me, how many of us would agree with the sentiment, racist isn't a descriptive word, it's a pejorative word. It is equivalent to saying, I don't like you. These are the actual words of white supremacist Richard Spencer, who like Trump identifies as not racist. Many, how many of us who despise the Trumps and white supremacists in the world share this self-definition self of not racist? So it goes on. What's the problem with being not racist? It is a claim that signifies neutrality. I am not racist, but neither am I aggressively against racism. But there is no neutrality in the racism struggle. 
the opposite of racist is not, isn't. I'm, I'm getting tongue tied on all these is not and, and is it's, but let me try this again. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. What's the difference? One endorses either the idea of racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist or locates the roots of problems in in power and policies as an anti-racist. One either allows racial inequalities to persevere as a racist or confronts racial inequalities as an anti-racist. And this is a sentence I underline. There is no in-between safe space of not racist. The claim of not racist Neutrality is a mask for racism. Racist is not, as Richard Spencer argues, a pejorative. It is not the worst word. It is not the worst word in the English language. It is not the equivalent of a slur. It is descriptive, and the only way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it, and then dismantle it. The attempt to turn this useful, this usefully descriptive word into something, I'm sorry. (laughs) The attempt to turn this usefully descriptive term into almost unusable, into an almost unusable slur, of course, is designed to do the opposite, to freeze us into inaction. So this is why on a lot of things, I have a baseline um, and things that I will not have a discussion about. There is no debate about. I do not engage. And whether you agree with how I, um, the baseline on my boundaries, it really doesn't matter to me. And, and, and it's because of this thing uh, is the attempt to turn a useful descriptive term into almost unusable slur, of course, it's designed to do the opposite. It's designed to freeze you in action. So if I say something is racist, if I say something um, stems from white supremacy, if I say that um, impact is more important than intention, all these things, um, if I allow, and I'm going to be honest, if I allow whiteness in in spaces that I'm in to have a default or fallback, it becomes, it devolves into there's no action. It's, it, it's, it's hitting a, a panic button where all whiteness, um, no, it's for some reason, I don't understand how you, you understand this script, you, you've been taught this script and you fall back into it. So this is why I have a hard line on what is racist to me and what is um, racist behavior. So on page 10, he also addresses colorblindness. The common idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of not, of being not racist, with which the not racist. The common idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of being not racist. As with the not racist, the colorblind individual by upstanding, by ostensibly the common idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of not the common idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of being not racist as with the not racist 
the colorblind individual by ostensibly failing to see race, fails to see racism and fails and, and falls into a racist, racist passivity. The language of the colorblindness, like the language of not racist, is a mask to hide racism. And on further down, I put a question mark by this because he says, I no longer believe that black people cannot be racist. And I put that question mark there because I have, a, as I said, but just before I have a very hard line that I um, draw when it comes to racism. And one of them is that whiteness by design is racist. Um, and um, that people of color, um, particularly black people in the US cannot be racist because we do not have the power structure. We may have race prejudice, but without the power structure, we cannot implement any policies, procedures, or the things that are defined as racist policies. So. I put a question mark there because I, I'm interested in digging deeper into that based on what Dr. Kendi is talking about. And then the last part of the introduction that I want to um, address, it says, it can become real um, if we focus on... It can become real if we focus on power instead of people, if we focus on changing policies instead of groups of people. And this is one reason I, 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 I continue to talk about systems, systems of oppression, systems of whiteness, systems, 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 because these are not individuals. Um, individuals may enact or act out um, or act as agents of white supremacy and racism, but the systems that are in place I, enable them to do so. So we're going to get into definitions. And as you know, <clears throat> as an educator, I'm always doing, dealing with definitions. Um, and so I love that this book started with definition. It started, starts at the beginning where I, it starts in the place of beginning where I would start. And it's, as an educator, as, as an educator, um, it's important to make sure that everybody, even if you don't agree on the terms, understand the terms that we're using, understand how we'll be using them moving forward. So starting with definitions makes sense to me. So his um, definition of race is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions and, or inactions or expressing a racist idea. Anti-racist, one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions and or expressing an anti-racist idea. See, it's that simple. It's not, you know, it's no, nothing to get, um, get um, you know, emotional about or it, they're just, they're, dis, they're definitions, two words. But what I, uh, one of the things I, I liked about this chapter was he is, again, about his lived experience or his parents' lived experience and how they came to understand um, the differences in um, um, uh, being Black in Christianity. And it's a really interesting story about the, like the, on page 15, the evangelical church supported the status quo. It supported slavery. It supported segregation. It preached against any attempt of the black man to stand on his own two feet. And that's something that people need to reckon with. This is something that even in our community of blackness, we need to reckon with that the Bible, that Christianity in the United States was used as justification for the annihilation of indigenous people and the enslavements of Africans. And this is a conversation that many people don't want to have uh, because it's, 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 it's sacrilege to, to, to challenge religion and Christianity in this country. But until we recognize that the, the roots of many 
um, stories in the Bible or how the Bible was used has been used as a tool of oppression and continues to be used as a tool of oppression. Um, again, it's that thing of cutting off a conversation. If I can't talk about the thing that oppresses me, that of uh, the tool that you're using to oppress me, then there is no reason for me to have a conversation. And by default, you win. And that's just does not, it's not how that works any longer. So he was um, referring to a, a gentleman named Tom Skinner, and I'm going to drop that um, he's referring to a speech that happened in Urbana-Champaign um, University of Illinois back in 1970. I actually found the link to the video that I'm going to add to the um, to the episode podcast. Um, but here's a quote from that. Any gospel that does not speak to the issue of enslavement and injustice and equality, any gospel that does not want to go where people are hungry or poverty stricken and set them free in the name of Jesus Christ is not the gospel. And I love this about, you know, when I said his parents met at this, um, this um, event in 1970 in Urbana, and I, I starred this because um, they met, but they weren't dating. Um, and they had the same cathartic experience and it said they stopped thinking about saving black people and started thinking about liberating black people. And this is truly how I feel about the work I do in tech. As a black woman in tech, it's very important for me to improve inclusion and diversity in this space. Um, and yet I'm not thinking about saving uh, other marginalized people. What I'm thinking about is liberating other marginalized people and giving them the space um, and and the tools and the resources to um, to come into these spaces, own who they are, and to stand and be who they are, and challenge whenever they come across um, um, situations of people who tell them that they're not good enough or they have to assimilate and rather rather than the space accommodates them. So I really resonated with this. Um, So if people wanna know my why, why do I keep doing this? Why I don't get burned out? Why do I have strategies? Why am I being very methodical about this? It's because I stopped thinking about saving people and I've started thinking about how to liberate people, how to liberate tech. We need, it's, it's, I want to liberate tech. Tech is, 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 it's become its own monster and it's harming itself, um, just as white supremacy does. And I want to help liberate tech so that we can, can, we can stop harming others with our products and services and the people who come and work with us, any of those stakeholders. So he talks about this on page 17 about, and the key act for both of us was defining, he's talking about um, Urbana, he's talking about was defining our terms so that we could begin to describe the world and our place in it. Definitions anchor us in principles. And this is why I talk about, uh, I start everything with definitions because it's the, the undergirding so that we are all on the same page, whether we agree to it or not. Uh, we have the same understanding. To be racist, to be a racist is to constantly redefine racist in a way that exonerates one's changing policies, ideas, and personhood. And this is why I stand very much in the space of not debating what my definition of racism and who's racist, because it is constantly being redefined as whiteness is constantly being redefined. And I'm not, I don't have the emotional bandwidth or do I have the desire to keep chasing a changing definition. 
So now he gets into what he, he devi- defines these terms. He said, what is racism? Racism is a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produce and normalize racist racial inequalities. And then he defines racial inequality. Racial inequality is when two or more racial groups are not standing on approximately equal footing. A racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequality between racial groups. An anti-racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial equality between racial groups. By a policy, I mean written or unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines that govern people. There is no such thing as a non-racist or race-neutral policy. Every policy in every institution, in every community, in every nation is producing or sustaining either racial inequality or equality between racial groups. This is very important. There is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going, and I, I probably will not be reading as matter-of-factly as I am, um, you know, verbatim in other chapters when I do, but I, this is this is the definition section, so I want to make sure that we get this, um, and so I'm going to be, I want to harp on this. I want to really get that this is the baseline. So racist policies have been described in other terms, racial institutions, um, structure, I mean, institutional racism, structural racism, and systematic racism, for instance. But those terms are those are vaguer terms than racial racist policy. When I use them, I find myself having to immediately explain what I mean. Racist policy is more tangible and extracting and more likely to be immediately understood by people, including its victims, who may not have the benefit of extensive fluency in racial terms. Racist policy says exactly what the problem is and where the problem is. Institutional racism, structural racism, and systematic racism are redundant. Racism itself is institutional, structural, and systematic. Racial discrimination is an immediate and a visible manifestation of the underlying racial policy. We all have the power to discriminate. Only an exclusive few of us have the power to make a policy. Focusing on racial discrimination takes our eyes off the central agent of racism, racist policies and racist policy makers, or what I call racist power. And this is where I subscribe to my definition of racism and what is racist is because, um, as he says, his only we, we all have the power to discriminate, but only an exclusive few have the power to make policies. And those exclusive few are white people. And it's not everybody in, who's a white person, but the power to make racist policies lies within whiteness. The defining question is whether the discrimination is creating equality or inequality. If discrimination is, is creating equality, then it is anti-racist. If the discrimination is creating anti-quality, anti inequality, it is racist. I am going to be tongue-tied in this between equality, inequality, and what is racist and what not racist. I already see it coming for the rest of this thing. But this, I wrote a note in the in the in the margin. This reminds me of the efforts to improve inclusion and diversity in tech, and why the pushback of. Um, you know, everything has to be equal and, and, um, 
and and you know the, just reaching out to people of color for a job is discriminating against white people and and you know this is reverse ra- racism and all these other things no we there is no neutral either it's racist or it's anti-racist and if we want to stem the tide of racist policies that are in our algorithms, that are in how we run our companies, that are baked into our cultures, we have to actively be anti-racist, which means we have to discriminate against racist policies. We have to replace them with um, anti-racist policies. We have to do actively things that are anti-racist to counter the years of racist policies and, and cultures and attitudes and ideas that have been long held within the tech community. So, so to say that these things are equal is, is, is a false equivalent. And I talk about this all the time. Um, I kids have the same, be at the same starting place as a white dude in tech. And I will still be behind. I will still not have the same results, even if I'm producing more energy and getting where I am. So this is, I, I really appreciated that. It says the only remedy to racist racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. Again, I'm going to say this again. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And then he talks about um, a, a quote from Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965. You do not You do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains and liberate them, bring them up to the starting line of a race and then say you are free to compete with all the others and still justly believe that you have been compete, been completely fair. Um, and then Supreme Court Justice Henry um, Blackman in 1978 says, in order to get beyond racism, we must first take account of race. There is no other way. And in order to treat some persons equally, we must treat them differently. That is where affirmative action comes from. That is why it's there. It's not because these people are inferior. Um, It is because the doors have always been closed. And if you don't actively create a door, there's no way to get in. Um, If you don't actively um, challenge the racist systems that are in play, bringing marginalized people, people of color into spaces, all you're doing is causing harm because you have not done anything to thwart the systems that are in place. On page 20, the most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for the White House, for a white ethos state, but <coughs> The most threatening racist movement is not the alt-right's unlikely drive for a white ethos state, but the regular Americans drive for a race-neutral one. Race-neutral one. I need you to hear that. The construct of race neutrality actually feeds white nationalist victimhood by positing the notion that any policy protecting or advancing non-white Americans toward equality is reverse discrimination. So what is a racist idea? 
and racist idea is any idea that suggests one racial group is inferior or superior to another racial group in any way. An anti-racist idea is any idea that suggests that racial groups are equal in all their apparent differences. Racism is a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequality and are substantiated by racist ideas. Anti-racism is a powerful collection of anti-racist policies that lead to racial equality and are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. So on the bottom of page 21, there may be no more there may be no more consequential white privilege than life itself. White lives matter to the tune of 3.5 additional years over black lives in the U.S., which is just the most, okay, I'm going to scrap all this. I'm not going to talk about this part. So scrap that, Mark. And so we're going to finish up this chapter, okay, with um, a racist is someone who is supporting a racist policy by their actions or inactions or expressing a racist idea. A anti-racist is someone who is supporting an anti-racist policy by their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. Racist and anti-racist are like people are like are like pillable name tags that are placed or replaced based on what someone is doing or not doing, supporting or expressing in that moment. These are not permanent tattoos. No one becomes a racist or anti-racist. I put a question mark by this because this, again, goes back to can black people be um, racist? That I, the question I have in my mind. Um, and then, um, like fighting an addiction, becoming an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism, and regular self-evaluation. I mean, self-examination. I say this all the time. And with, again, I'm going to tie it to my idea. All whiteness is racist by design. And that's why I extrapolate out the word whiteness and, and not talk about white folks individually. So all racist, all whiteness is racist by design. That's what the systems have um, around you have created. So whiteness is racist by design and cannot be trusted by default. If, if you want to change that in my eye, where it is about where do you fall on the spectrum of racism? Are you actively on the spe- part of the spectrum of being actively white supremacist or actively anti-racist? <laughs> and I can say it's not even a continuum because there, as, as Dr. Kendi talked about, there is no neutral. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a binary. Okay, that's where we're going with. It's the binary. Are you, are you a white supremacist in your thoughts and your beliefs? Are you anti-racist in your thoughts, beliefs, and actions? And it takes a constant, consistent, demonstrated behavior that says whether you are, where you are on the spectrum. And it also, and I like the where it says it's not a permanent tattoo. And this is where I get into it with, um, with um, quote-unquote allies, individuals who so at some point believe that they're you know, on our side, they're the good guys, or someone told them one time at a, at a meeting, or they did something, and they wear this like it's a permanent thing while they're actively causing harm. And so <clears throat> that is not what this is. And so there is, and so he ends the chapter with a quote 
from Audre Lorde from 1980. Um, we, ha we, we have all been programmed to respond to the human difference. We have all been programmed to respond to the human differences between us with fear and loathing and to handle that difference in one of three ways. Ignore it, and if it is not possible, copy it if we think it is dominant or destroy it if we think it is subordinate. But we have no patterns for relating across our human differences as equals. To be an anti-racist is a radical choice in the face of this history requiring a radical reorientation of our consciousness. So I'm gonna leave us there. Um, I, again, am an educator, so I'm happy that we I started with definitions. Um, and I'll see where we go for, for each, for each subsequent chapter, but I'm happy that I took the time and that Dr. Kendi took the time to, um, define terms for us, um, and to also give us a perspective into his lived experience. And so, um, next time we meet, we will be um, tackling, um, chapter two, which is dueling consciousness. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcausescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.